You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. We're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and uh, it's always a pleasure when I get a chance to speak with my next guest, uh, and we'll call it an in-the-dub segment. You can stay up to date on everything happening in the WHL. There isn't a lot these days, but the fine folks at dubnetwork.ca uh, do a great job of keeping you up to date on anything that does come up. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to get your daily dose of the dub. comes right to your inbox. You don't even have to look for it. Uh, but let's get to my guest, Pete Labardius, longtime broadcaster, spent a lot of time uh, around the WHL and uh, probably still follows it with as much passion as I, I know that he has. Uh, Pete, great to talk to you again. How are you? I am uh, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Well, I appreciate you making time today. I, I know uh, these are strange days uh, for sure. I know you're back in Toronto now with uh, uh, with your family, and um, I saw you yesterday on Rod Peterson's show. As you and I are talking, it's it's Wednesday, and uh, really great uh, messages. And it was great to to hear what you had to say yesterday. But uh, how are things where you are? Well, you know, it's it's a it's good to be back um, here and with people you love and care about. That's fantastic, and um, you know, like everybody else, just trying to, you know, get through it. It's it's a day to day situation for everybody. I think the unknown is is very difficult and can weigh pretty heavily. But um, you know, for me, Guy, in a really odd way of kind of going about my business with a job that I have in Calgary, I have a son who is in Edmonton and you know, the rest of my life is in Ontario. So um, normalcy is not exactly the order of the day in my world necessarily in comparison to everybody else. So um, I just more than ever just, you know, probably enjoy maybe even a little bit more so than others when I have a chance to be back and, and spend time with, with loved ones because in my world for eight months of the year, I'm away from them a lot. So at least in the early going, I, I'm just I'm just taking that those opportunities to to just enjoy being back and, and spending time with people that I'd sure love to see more during the course of an eight month or nine month hockey season. Well, and I don't know about you, but I think at this time in situations like this, which are I mean I've never gone through anything like this in my lifetime, and I don't think a lot of us have, but no. a little distraction from reality might be a good thing. And I thought maybe that's how, what I would do with the pipeline show here for the foreseeable future is maybe get away from reality a bit. And uh, so I was uh, making a short list of, of people that I wanted to get on the show who I just enjoy chatting with. Uh, and you were right at the top of that list, uh, Lou. So um, well, I, I, I appreciate just, that. Well, it's, it's always a treat when I, when I get you on the show and we can just talk for uh, a long time, uh, it seems like. So, uh, but first I, I wanted to, to get to know a little bit more about your own backstory, and I know you're a Saskatchewan kid, aren't you? I am. I'm from Saskatoon. Saskatoon. So when when did you kind of get into uh, feeling like broadcasting was a uh, a pursuit you wanted to uh, to go after? You know, I've told this story a few times, but it it happened really young. I was literally six or seven years old, and um, as much as broadcasting then, which was always an incredible interest of mine. I just knew very, very early that I had an incredible passion and love affair for sports and that if there was any possible way that I could end up, you know, working in sports as my career, that that was my aim from a very young age. Like many of us, I was a, 
I was an okay hockey player when I was a little guy. And like many of us, it starts to catch up to you after a pretty good start, which I had. Um, pretty good little player up until I was about 14 and then everything caught up with me. But, um, yeah, that's, that's where it all started. Um, I loved it. I loved watching it. I loved playing it, um, all different types of sports. And yeah, I, I was lucky in that respect that at a very young age, I had an incredible passion and, and thought about being a broadcaster. Then, along with my uh, childhood friend, Ray Morrison, when we were 13 years of age. Ray's been a long, long-time radio broadcaster in Saskatoon. At the age of 13, he and I and a group in Saskatoon on Telecable 10 <laughs> did our first ever live sports broadcast of about four or five uh, high school football games. Nice. And, and that, was, that was the first start. Until, you know, I saved the few pennies that I had at the end of high school and went to the Western Academy of Broadcasting early in 1984 and started my radio and television career in the middle of July in that year in Estevan, Saskatchewan. Well, that's outstanding. Was it always hockey that you wanted to do? You, you said the first little no, bit was, not, was football. No, no, no. No, I just honestly, to this day, and it's a bit of a misnomer sometimes, right? When you're cast and, you know, we end up specializing as, as we can do um, in, in one sport. Now, is hockey my number one love as far as sports? Yes, for sure it is. But um, I, love, I love all sports. I love all team sports in particular. That's my great, great passion. So, no, I never necessarily um you know thought that everything would be directed towards hockey but I would say this um you know my hockey bugs started according to my mom um on Saturday nights apparently when I was one and it just barely learned to walk <laughs> hockey night in Canada would come on and you know I have not a lot of reason not to believe her that apparently Saturday nights, and a lot of them would be spent at my grandparents' house, that the minute hockey would come on, I was frozen. <laughs> like, I didn't move, apparently. And she said with most kids, they'd go towards the commercials and forget about everything else. Well, I, I was the opposite. And at the age of three, my parents started to take me to Saskatoon Blades games in the old Saskatoon arena. Mm -hmm. And same type of story... Uh, apparently even at three and four, I, I don't remember my first game until I was five. Um, but apparently just would sit there and would not move and people in the stands would just be absolutely somewhat amazed that here's this young kid who's focused and doesn't move and just seems to love it. So I can't really explain it, but that's that's where it really all began. That's where my love for the Western League and and passion in so many ways for hockey began, whether it obviously started on television, but then going to the Saskatoon Arena. And from the time of five until I left for Estevan, and especially in my teenage years, my friend, I did not miss a lot of Saskatoon Blade games outside of when I was playing myself mm -hmm. or involved in, in other things. So, you know, I say to many people, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, that in 
so many different ways and, you know, some other situations came up in my world that the Western Hockey League to this day is, it's been way more to me than just a league. It's, it's really felt in many ways like family. And, um, you know, my, one of my, one of my true goals was to call one game in the Western Hockey League, Mm. one game. And funny story is the team that I absolutely despised growing up in Saskatoon was the Regina Pats. Of course. Well, guess who the voice of which Western <laughs> Hockey League team I was starting in the 1989-90 season after four years as the voice of the Estevan Bruins of the Saskatchewan Junior League, the Regina Pats. So that's, uh, that's a little small synopsis of how it all kind of got going. Oh, that's poetic. Uh, when you were a player uh, playing minor hockey, what uh, what position did you play? Uh, center and right wing. Okay. I, I noticed there's a lot of goaltenders who eventually go on to be broadcasters, whether it's you know NHL goalies or whatnot. I, yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do I think that's the case for yeah, goalies? You know, Kelly uh, Rudy and uh, Healy and yeah, Greg you know, Miller. In all sincerity, it's funny. I was in this conversation with somebody a couple of months ago, and you know, I've I've worked with John Garrett and obviously around Kelly Rudy and, and lots of, mm-hmm. you know, players throughout my career. And honestly, I, I think a big part of it is they have the best seat in the house. Yeah. You know, everything somewhat like a catcher in baseball, everything really unfolds around them. And, you know, they get to see absolutely all of it in some ways they get to direct what goes on in terms of what happens in their own end of the rink so yeah I've, I've always felt that that's probably one of the reasons that we've seen a number of goalies although you know that's changing um but that would be my response to why i think you know goalies have somewhat uh, found themselves yeah. in those kind of positions Peter Lombardius, longtime broadcaster, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. We're just uh, shooting the shit for a little while and uh, try to uh, get a little distance from reality for uh, a short while. Um, now, I grew up in northeastern Alberta, uh, Cold Lake. I don't know if you know where Cold Lake yeah, is. Yeah, I sure do. A long way from a WHL city at that time. So uh, mm-hmm. I think Saskatoon probably would have been the closest. but Might have been, yeah. I never actually saw a WHL game until the early 2000s wow. in, in my adult years. Uh, but wow, yeah. Now, when you got to uh, Estevan, uh, that was uh, yeah. uh, radio, I'm guessing. Radio, yeah, yeah. CASL radio at the time. Mm-hmm. You you've done both radio and TV. Do you have a preference? They're different, aren't they? They're incredibly different. Um, and now it's so much different with the evolution of you know, including the station I work for, the Fan 960 in Calgary, all talk sports radio which you know seems in some ways to us like it's been around forever but it hasn't um you know i can't tell you that i necessarily have a preference um you know that there's a lot of things that i really really like about both i love the immediacy of radio i like in a sense that you know in radio if you know, you're especially when you're doing play-by-play in color, which I've done both. Yeah. Um. You know, it's really up to you to kind of paint the picture, and I think that's awesome. Um. The TV side, I really loved in the sense that you know, 
somewhat like my love of sports, it takes an immense amount of talented people to put on a good TV show. So, you know, there's, there's far more in a sense teamwork required. Um, not to say, as you know, as you know, doing the job that I do yourself, um, with the oil Kings, you know, teamwork is really important and chemistry in every way. And I think it's in every way in life, you know, teamwork is really, really important, but, you know, the neat thing, especially after all the things that I've just been so lucky to do, um, you know, I, I like the TV side of it because people don't always realize the amount of people, talented people, and what goes into, you know, making a live production and a sporting television event to be just that, an event. And frankly, um, you know, with no disrespect to any of us, when I go into a truck and watch what goes on in there and see what has to get done and processed and directed and switched and, you know, the incredible replay people. And I've been lucky enough, you know, in my time at Sportsnet Television for 11 or 12 years to work with, you know, the best of the best on the planet. So, you know, in some ways, I feel bad for the fact that those incredibly gifted people who make such a difference that, you know, people don't even know who they are or have any idea what they do. So I love both. Um, been fortunate now to do a lot of both. And and there's great things to, you know, both mediums. I can't imagine what uh, what TV broadcasting is like for, for games. I know when I'm doing Oil King games uh, and uh, the prep work that goes into it, whatever little tidbits I have is stuff that I've put together doing prep work before the game. I get there, and, and whether it's Andrew Peart or Corey Graham, whoever I'm doing the games with, sometimes uh, Cam Moon, whatever they have, little tidbits and stuff that we can insert into the, the broadcast, that's what we have. For TV, do you guys have people who are feeding you information during the game as well? Um, yes and no. But, but your preparation and how you go about your business is still very much on you. Um, you know, when you're doing a television broadcast and depending on what type of television broadcast you have, because, you know, there's, there's so much more to a television broadcast, whether it's graphics or, you know, replays, there's just so much that goes hand in hand, but actual, actual information, Gee, no, it's, it's really not any, it's not a whole lot different outside of because on television, um, you know, you'll have stats people, especially on network television shows. That's not always the case. You know, the years, and I miss it greatly that I did junior hockey on Shaw television. You know, we didn't have a statistician or, um, so you certainly could never do graphics or any of the extra information, but the stuff by and large that you present that comes out of your own mouth, um, no, at least not in my experience. So much of it is certainly orchestrated and done by yourself. I mean, I've never really had anybody, whether I was doing the Olympic Games in 2010 in Vancouver, um, you know, all the gifted, talented people, the extras that they were able to add was a big, big difference. But it really never to this day, I don't, you know, it's it's funny and a different topic maybe for a different time and a different show, but 
even in making the transition from, you know, primarily being a play-by-play guy to doing color, um, I'm still to this day playing around and, and trying to determine how to properly prepare a little differently and better for that role. But I, I don't, you know, it's funny, even the book that I use, which is still handwritten, I don't get ready much different in 2020 than I, than I did October of 1985 when I called my first ever hockey game on the radio. That's amazing. Uh, Peter yeah. Bardius, my guest. Um, now, how long were you the play-by-play guy in Regina for the Pats? In Regina, basically four and a half years. Four and a half years. And that yeah. started, uh, when did you say, 85? 89. No, oh, 89. I was started, I was in Estevan from 85 through 88. Right. Um, and then worked for one year at CKCK in Regina just doing sports before we got the rights to the Pats, which was in 1989-90. And then I was there for four and a half years before I got into television in Saskatoon in 1993. Okay. Now, when you're a young broadcaster and you're trying to hone your craft and your skills, are are do you take influence from broadcasters that you grew up listening to, or do you do you try not to sound like anybody? You want to sound like yourself? Uh, how do you how did you go about it? I've I've had one notion in my entire livelihood with everything, and that is I always try to learn from people who are better at things than I am, and and so. You know, certainly not unlike anybody else. I had my favorites growing up in in all different sports avenues, both in our country and, you know, in the United States. So I never really tried to own my craft after anybody in particular. Um, But, you know, the, the one thing that I had always hoped was, Passion and knowledge, I always felt, were two strengths of mine, and that I would try my best, you know, to convey those in every single broadcast, you know, in anything I've tried to do. That that was the template for me, and it started very early in terms of the amount of preparation I would put into games and, and I just, you know, those were the two things. And to this day, it's funny, um, you know, whether it was yesterday on Rod's show or I, I've asked a lot of people over the last seven or eight years to, to try and guide my career still going forward after 35 plus years. Hmm. You know, I think we're always trying to learn my friend, at least I am. And in fact, I wish I would have delved into it a little sooner earlier is you know, what do you do best? What should you be doing? But, you know, to answer your original question, that's that's what I always set out to do. I just, I wanted, I knew what I liked in terms of, of style. And, um, you know, one person, and I have many favorites, many favorites, and still have many favorites, you know, in our business today, starting, uh, Starting really with a guy who I just think the world of, and that's Chris Cuthbert, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, I just think Chris in every way, shape, or form is an absolute credit to A, how he delivers his product, how he prepares, uh, the excitement and passion that he goes about his business with. And, you know, one of the great, great 
situations I found myself in was getting to work around him for three weeks in Vancouver in 2010. Um, and at that point in time, my respect for him just went absolutely through the roof. But, you know, in terms of hockey and how I've always tried to do it is I just, I love people who call games, who make you feel the game. And, and that, that for me is probably the people that I like and enjoy listening to or watching the most. I, I'm trying to uh, picture uh, a young Pete Labardius practicing his goal call in the mirror or something like that. Uh, because no, nope, really, no, nope, the nope. highlight packages that's that's everybody hears the goal call. Um, so how did you kind of uh, settle on yours, or is it just you, off you know the what? Cup? Uh, to, to be honest, this is a great subject. I never did. Really? No, I never did. And and I can you know I don't think I've ever said this before, but I will now publicly. That was one thing that was was a struggle for me. Was, was a struggle for me um, because what I always thought about um, was just tried to react as natural as I possibly could, and just like I said earlier, to feel the game and to to call it the way that I saw it or felt it. But no, of, of any of the wrestling matches I've had in terms of hockey play-by-play, the goal call was one of them. You know, I, I never necessarily at any point, especially, you know, more so I would say when I went from radio and then was lucky enough to get to do some stuff on network television, that, that, was, that was the only thing that ever really concerned me was it it didn't it didn't always either get received or it's the one thing it's funny um that can receive a lot of criticism and you know going back and forth on that and trying to to find your way in that neighborhood was was an interesting and still to this day has been an interesting challenge for me. Maybe that was the see. Maybe that's where I missed it. Maybe as a young guy, that's what I should have been doing more of is really concentrating on, you know, getting to that point and being incredibly comfortable with that side of it. Hmm. You know, I I think you're never going to please everybody, right? And even if you no, do, well, you can't. I get criticized sometimes. Uh, well, just for doing a junior hockey show and. Some people say I talk too fast or whatever, and I, I take all of that in stride. But with a goal call, because it's on every highlight pack that's out there, there there's always going to be somebody that criticizes or doesn't like the the tone you used or whatever, uh, the cadence or whatever other terms you want to use. But if you try to cater to everybody, there's I mean, you can't please everybody all the time. So you got to just do whatever comes naturally, don't you? No, well, you do, and, and you work your way through it. And, you know, you, not unlike athletes sometimes, you know, there's, there's probably years where you feel like it's all working and, you know, you, you don't even question it. And then some other things will come up and, you know, cause if you really care about your craft, you know, so much of it, as you know, is that each and every day you, you try to do better. Nobody ever does a perfect game or a perfect show. And, and I don't, you know, you know, the other part that people don't talk about a lot is 
you know, some people, you know, to their credit are blessed sometimes with maybe, you know, different types of gifts. You know, I, I would say this in my own case, um, you know, I, I came to understand very early, even in Estevan that, um, me, my style, my sound was distinct, unique, not necessarily for everyone and came to understand very early that I probably wasn't going to be somebody that sent you an audio tape and right off the hop, get great response and great reaction. You know, and I've had 35 years to get through that, um, you know, to understand that and the trials and tribulations, maybe even the amount of time, like, you know, I don't know if I've shared this ever before, but you know, there were times early in my career in Estevan where, you know, people would say, Hey, listen, if you're in a market that size for any longer than a year, a year and a half, maybe you're never getting out. Ah. Um, you know, and I was there for four, but the great thing is I'd never trade those years ever because what I think a lot of young people in the business sometimes miss, and we all miss it in some ways because we can tend to be in such a hurry to get to the next step in the journey that you can miss out on the important parts. And I know for me personally, I'd never trade those years, never, because you get to own your craft. You're in a smaller market. Um, you know, you're young, you don't have a lot of responsibility. Certainly I didn't starting at 18. Um, you know, you get to be part of the community. I moved away from home. Those four years, the people I met being the voice of the Estevan Bruins doing, you know, just countless numbers of things covering all the sports. I ended up two years in not only doing hockey in the winter for a couple of different leagues, but I did softball in the summer, the Estevan men's, you know, softball league. And, and I love softball introduced to that as a kid, as long, as well as baseball. Um, so it was just, it was a great time. I got to coach kids in softball and, and play myself baseball and softball while I was there. So um, I'd never trade it. And, and those, all those years of, owning your craft, finding your way, learning what works, what doesn't work. I'd never, I'd never trade it. And I'd never trade, you know, the first coach that I ever got associated with arguably to this day is my favorite one of all time, Jerry James. Um, you know, Jerry was a hard nosed CFL all-star running back. He played in the national hockey league in Detroit and Toronto uh, a character amongst all characters and could never, ever thank Jerry enough for whatever reason we, we hit it off. And trust me when I tell you, he didn't necessarily hit it all off with all the outside media, but <laughs> he took a liking to me. He taught me so much about the game. He basically came to see me at the radio station almost every day. And certainly every day that I covered the team and I'd spend time in his office and, you know, I, yeah, I'd never trade. I'd never trade those times. It was just, it's awesome. And I, I look back at it so fondly. Well, from Estevan, you go to Regina. Then after that, the, I think the first time, the early times that I can remember uh, hearing or, or seeing your broadcast uh, mm-hmm. were, were Euler games. Uh, when did that start happening for you? Was that after Regina? 
Oh yeah, well after Regina. Um, so what know, came was, next then after the Pats? Oh boy, you don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. Um, <laughs> you know, I started. I moved from radio play-by-play, which I loved, um, and was terrified to give up, but decided through Roger Millions, who hired me in Regina to do radio. He'd moved into TV, and he was a sports director at STV in Saskatoon, which is now global. And I thought, well, you know, this is an opportunity to grow and do something different. So I was there for four years with a quick stop in Regina and one with Darren Dreger for four months in Winnipeg. And I'd known Darren of TSN fame forever because even when I was the voice of the Pats and he wasn't yet the voice of the Brandon Wheat Kings in his early days at CKLQ, he would do my color uh-huh. when I'd go to Brandon. Um, so anyway, went there, uh, was there for the better part of four years, and then had three incredibly dynamite years doing television where Roger hired me again um, to work at CFRN Television in Edmonton. Uh-huh. And, and absolutely loved that. And in 2000, I got the call from from Sportsnet and started there. Got to call my first national television game, a junior hockey game in 2002 between Erie and the London Knights. Rick Nash is a 17-year-old member of the London Knights. And from there, started to do some, some more junior hockey. And when you would have heard me then was in another odd scenario in my career where, you know, the people at Sportsnet were appreciating how I was calling hockey and didn't have a full-time NHL role for me at the time to move into. So going along with all my junior hockey duties, which, you know, my first Memorial Cup of eight was in 2004 in Kelowna that I got to do basically between 8 and 12 Oiler games a year from 2000 and I guess would have been 2005, 2006 through 2007, 2008. Uh, I'll get to the the junior stuff with uh, yourself and Sam Cosentino in a second, but um, what was your first NHL game and just who was playing, how special that was for you to – you know, you get to the NHL. Yeah, my my first my first NHL game was actually a Montreal Canadiens game in Montreal at the Bell Center in 2004, and it was against the Edmonton Oilers. Mm. Um, yeah, it, you know, it was again, it was it was certainly a dream come true for me. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I remember so much of so many games I've either watched or called um, that one, that one was special, but it probably, you know, to be honest, I remember more about that game. I was referring you to that overtime game between Erie and London in 2002, where Carlo Koliakovo scored the overtime winner (laughs) against the London Knights in London than I actually do about my first NHL game. Wow, why do you think that is? Um, why do I think that is? Because, you know, in so many ways, my love and passion for junior hockey mm-hmm. has never, like, it's never wavered. 
And, and to have an opportunity to do, you know, a national junior game and start calling live sports again. I mean, that was, that was incredible. And, you know, one of, when people will ask through all the career that I've had, like I will never, and I always have to be careful telling the story because it's incredibly emotional for me, but, um, he, I remember watching every Memorial Cup final because, you know, it was all that we got, right, forever in junior hockey on television. I mean, it's not like, well, now it's changing again, unfortunately, but for a long time, I mean, we didn't get games on TV. We got the Memorial Cup final every year, and I remembered watching pretty much every one starting in 1975. Wow. And so that 2004 Sunday in Kelowna, British Columbia is one of the greatest emotional, most wonderful times. I got to the rink that day. It was a four o'clock start and I was the only one in the rink almost period at about one o'clock. And I remember looking down at the logos on the ice and thinking, you have watched every Memorial Cup final since you were a little guy. And today, you're going to get to call that game. That, to me, was, as you can probably tell, I mean, it's hard for me not when I tell that story not to get emotional because that that was just an incredible, incredible moment in my life. Outstanding. Uh, Dean Millard and I started the Pipeline Show in uh, 2006, February of 2006, and um, I, th- I don't remember the first time that we had you on, but um, you were doing games with uh, with Sam at that point, I believe. Yeah. And, and you and Sam always, one of my, you guys are, if I had a, a, a Mount Rushmore of guests on the Pipeline Show, I think both of you guys would be on it because you guys are both phenomenal. And I thought the chemistry that you had together on the air was exceptional as well because you can both tell stories. You both know the uh, the Canadian Hockey League inside and out. Um, I don't know what the relationship was like for you guys uh, when the microphones are off, but it certainly seemed like you guys had great chemistry. Sam is uh, Sam's one of my best friends. Um, I enjoyed our six years together doing junior hockey as much or more than anything I've ever done. Um, we, I remember us doing our first game together. It was actually an American Hockey League game, and he still jokes with me to this day because I didn't know very much about him, and he joked that I that I pierced through his eyes with some of the worst looks. Basically, <laughs> he always says to me, he looked at me like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, But from probably game number one, meeting number one or two, um, you know, we developed an incredible partnership on the air, what I think is an incredible friendship. Um, he, he means the world to me. Um, you know, he's helped me in so many different ways with who he is and, and what he's about. And, you know, I have many things that I feel strong about, but I don't know if there's anything better in the world, Guy, than when you do something you love with somebody that you love to do it with. And I've worked with so many incredible people in my career, but, you know, really right at the top of the list is that guy. And 
um, you know, what you saw and, and I'm, it just, it makes me smile when, you know, I hear somebody like you, I respect and think highly of say those things because that chemistry was, was real. Um, it was way more than just two guys going to work and calling games together. You know, he is, he's, he's one of my absolute favorite people blessed to have him in my life. He's a big part of, of my world. And while, you know, I know for me very much so, um, you know, when I was let go at Sportsnet television in 2011, that, um, you know, to this day, one of the hard things for me has been, you know, we don't get to do that together anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of him and what he's done and how he's carried on with it. And, you know, he's, I just can't say enough about what he's done with that rule, with that position, what he's become as far as junior hockey is concerned. But yeah, I mean, I love the guy to death and I, I absolutely loved every second that we spent together doing games and, and was really, really proud of our partnership on the air and, and not hard to tell. I don't think about how I feel about the guy yeah. as a human being. Pete, I wonder, did you ever consider, I don't know actually, you know, if you have one, but do you have like a signature uh, uh, line that you like to use? I know Les Lazarus has Heidi Ho, let's go. And, and Regan has a pitter patter. Let's get at her. And, um, no, put, put not, it in the wind column, any of those types of things. No, in it? no, I never, you know, I, I have lots of, you know, what they call in Calgary Louisms, I guess. Um, that they have a lot of fun playing different lines, but I never, no, no, I never, I don't really feel, you know, some kind of whatever, whatever would be, you know, some kind of save or whatever would probably be as close to anything that was a bit of a, of, of a signature one for me, but you know, no, I don't have the, you know, Kevin Quinn overtime winner. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, didn't ever really have one of those in particular well some kind uh, is it does come to mind for me for with you it's yeah, some some kind yeah. of blank whatever the fill the blank right yeah some kind yeah, of something. Yep. yeah yeah yep yep that would be that would probably be as close to being mine as as any now you're doing uh flames games well uh, not currently but uh when you're doing nhl stuff uh how much do you get to still follow the the well the western hockey league specifically but junior hockey in general do you have time to well, kind of stay up to date well I, I you know i try as hard as i can i you know i still go through a lot of box scores on a on a nightly basis i think i've been to, you know i've into almost every single Hitman game that I could get to when I was in town and I, you know, wasn't either visiting my son or on the road with the hockey team. So, no, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it and try my best to stay as up to date and as current as I can. It's, you know, it's very different, you know, when it used to be traveling from league to league and following it and that was your your number one focus Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i i you know i've never lost i've never lost my passion for junior hockey and what it means and um so i try my best to i i just my favorite thing um you know about hockey and really about sports ski that maybe people don't always know is i i love watching the development 
So, you know, I'm not, what were, there, what were two of the last three hockey games I went to mm. before the world was shut down? Yeah. I went, I went to a Bantam AAA playoff game between the Calgary Flames and Red Deer. And that same night, I went to watch a Peewee AA playoff game in, in the city of Calgary because I'd heard about three or four of the kids um, who I hadn't had a chance to see with my own two eyes that were playing. And I was lucky enough to get a couple of periods to watch them before the season ended. So, um, you know, the one thing that I just, I've always enjoyed the most is just watching the development, you know, of, of young players and kind of following that path to see where it takes them. So I, I enjoy to this day every bit as much of, you know, going to a midget game or a Bantam game as I do, you know, going to an NHL game. Part of what I like about junior hockey compared to the NHL is how unpolished it is that there are mistakes and to me mistakes lead to scoring chances and that makes it exciting and there there are clearly players who are ahead of where other guys are on the ice but uh, I don't know I I find junior hockey although it's not as crisply executed is more entertaining for me that's my own personal opinion but do you see some of that too oh for sure I do absolutely I, I Listen, I've been frustrated in a sense for a long time, and I'm incredibly biased about that particular level. And as I just alluded to, I love all levels of hockey, all of it, all of it. I really do. Um, But the one thing about junior hockey that I think has always been why I've enjoyed it so much is just what you said, is that it, it, it brings incredible skill um never been more skillful we could get to other parts of where the game has gone and yeah. that's you know the older you get you know we kind of like to cling on to some of the things that i miss about the 70s and 80s and even 90s um but the skill level that they play with and because it's like you said their lack of experience they're not as polished they do make mistakes and mistakes is exactly what you said. It's what leads to excitement and scoring chances and all of the above that that's, that's why I think it is one of truly the greatest levels because, you know, you have these young people who are on the precipice in a lot of different cases of, you know, playing at the absolute highest level. So you get all that skill, but, they're not refined and they're not, it was a great word that you used, polished. And, you know, it's, it's also why, you know, to me, and you've been to a number of them now, you know, that's why I, I love the world junior so much mm-hmm. because there's so much passion, there's so much skill, and you can let a three, one third period lead slip away as the Russians did this year, or, you know, not to completely show my homerism, which I go by easily and will never apologize for loving and cheering for my country in all sports. But it's the same thing that happened in Buffalo in 2011 when Canada took a 3 nothing lead into the third period and gave away five to the Russians when Tarasenko and company came back to win five to three. So, yeah, that that is part of its greatest aspects and you know the the other part of it is and it's changed and it's changed a lot 
But, you know, the one thing that I have no trouble sharing is being involved in junior hockey and around it for as long as I have. And, and not that we want to get back to the times of today, but what, what I always have come to learn with every passing year of my life is it's, it's not about the games, it's about people. And one of the reasons I love junior hockey so much is because of all the people that I've met and dealt with and all the relationships and all the learning that so, so much is tied to junior hockey. I remember uh, going back to uh, 2014, the year the uh, Oil Kings won the Memorial Cup in, in London. Uh, and just a, a human story that kind of what you're talking about, that was the year Christian's Pelch, uh, the summer before he had yes. passed away. And the Oil Kings had basically dedicated that season in his memory. And of course, storybook ending, they win and they're on the ice and they're, they have the Pelch jersey, uh, in all the pictures and stuff like that. Well, uh, I actually got to travel with the team because I was doing color that year. That was the first yeah. year I got to do color. So I was on the bus. Pretty good start. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, but on the bus, uh, after the game, going back to the hotel, um, Eddie Kolda was on the Oil Kings team that year, yeah. MVP, and had received a text from Christian Pelsch's father. And he got up and read it out loud to everybody on the bus that it was basically just, uh, thank you for always remembering my son and how much it meant to him and his family. And it was th- that sort of human story that doesn't get publicized all that much. And I really, that what you were just talking about, it, the human connection, that just really resonated with me. And uh, that that story immediately came to mind. It's it's stuff like that that makes it special. It, it is. It really is. You know, we all get so caught up a lot in, in the games and the exciting times. And they are incredibly exciting. And I know I, I wouldn't trade any of it you know the the ups the downs the the in-betweens those types of great stories that you know you just told and and all of the great stories too that i've seen but you know it's funny this people can have incredible impact on you in a, in a hurry whether we we're talking about sam but um i had the great fortune of calling the America's Olympic women's softball qualifying tournament this past summer in Surrey, British Columbia. And I did it um, in part with uh, a lady by the name of Lauren Bay Regula, who was one of Canada's best ever pitchers in softball. And her brother is Jason Bay, who you might remember from major league days and was a heck of a player and we had, forget about just calling the softball together, we had so many great conversations about parenting and life. And, you know, it was such a special 10 days to go through. Um, and I have a lot of roots in the softball world going back to working with a senior ladies team when I was a teenager in Saskatoon. But she looked at me and she said at one point during one of those conversations, she said, in life, we cannot outperform connection. Hmm. And that line will forever resonate with me. Uh, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, when you look uh, over your career, are there some stops along the way, or individual games or, or tournaments maybe uh, that uh, 
you know, you could consider career highlights, even maybe not your performance, but being at and, and having the, the ability to share that experience. I mentioned the Memorial Cup in 2014 yeah. for me. Maybe the, 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 the WHL championship that year against Portland game, winning game seven, the Oil Kings in Portland may have even been a bigger moment actually for than the Memorial Cup win itself. But, um, being at the 2016 uh, yeah. World Junior in Helsinki and Finland winning against Russia in overtime in Helsinki, that certainly stands out for me. Do you have some moments like that too? Uh, from my own career or just my yeah. own life? Yeah, well, either. Both? Yeah. Both? Either? Well, I, I, I talked about the experience of calling the Memorial Cup final in 2004. Yeah. And then I broadcast eight of them before that time came to an end. So that was just, those were incredibly, incredibly special times and highlights. Um, having a chance to call eight of the 30 men's games at the 2010 Winter Olympics was, you know, that was, an absolute dream come true through and through as a, a very much international sports lover and um, greatest ever sports day was is easy. It's February 24th, 2002. And at some point I could tell you the whole story, but you know, I, I basically had three things in life that I wanted to see come true. I wanted to see Canada win an Olympic hockey gold medal, the Minnesota Vikings win a Super Bowl, and 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 having a child. Well, two of the three have come true. Um, but February 24th, 2002, with um, my friend Abe, nearly 50 years now, uh, made our way. We got tickets thanks to a guy that you know well, Corey Blashill in Edmonton, because he was doing camera work, and somehow he got his hands on a couple of tickets that um, we paid, I think, 775 Canadian for at the E-Center. Um, the greatest day, arguably, of my entire life. To be in that rink, Canada wins its first Olympic hockey gold medal in 50 years. To do it with my friend, um, we're in the second row of the upper deck, and basically in Salt Lake City, which was, you know, a building of 7,500, um, shed more tears than I could ever tell you. <laughs> it, it just, it was the. I can't imagine you know, outside of the birth of my little guy, and it was very different. But, you know, those are the two greatest days I've had on planet Earth to this point in time. What's left on the uh, the broadcasting bucket list for you? What's left? Only one thing. Only one thing. I'd always have wanted to call one Canadian World Junior game. Hmm. And I don't know if that, my guess is that one probably is uh, not likely to occur. The closest I ever was was in Orlando, Sweden, leading up to the 2004 World Junior Championships in Helsinki. And that was the one where uh, we uh, saw a 3-1 lead slip away and Marc-Andre Fleury bounced the puck off Braden Coburn's back and in. Um, which was, uh, yeah, that 
that's right up there in terms of one of my least favorite uh, sporting <laughs> moments in terms of heartbreaking losses. Yeah. Uh, but I called a pre-tournament game um, between Canada and Sweden right before the start of that tournament. And then another, while we're on the topic, I guess the closest I ever truly got was in the year 2007, they held a Canada-Russia Junior Super Series, which I had an opportunity to do the play-by-play for all eight of those games, right. four games over in, in Russia, in Omsk, and Ufa, and then came back to play four games in our country, in Winnipeg, Red Deer. Saskatoon, Red Deer, and Vancouver. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, broadcasting highlights would be, in so many ways, that series, the Olympic Games, and, you know, the Memorial Cup run. Well, Pete, yeah. I could uh, I could chat all day, but we've, uh, we're coming up to an hour, yeah. so longer than I uh, told you that I'd uh, track yeah. you down for. But uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for taking the time today, and uh, best of best of uh, best of luck <laughs> that sounds yeah. really clunky to say but uh certainly mean it no and right back at you and thanks for uh providing an opportunity to share my story excellent thanks Peter. really appreciate it anytime thanks key be well that is uh peter labardius longtime broadcaster you can hear him uh, doing a color on uh, calgary flames games but uh i he's just a uh he's a great guy uh always uh a great guest for sure, uh, and uh, I'm happy to be able to call him uh, my friend. Really, really enjoyed that conversation, and looking forward to having more of those types of conversations with uh, guests over the next few, well, God knows how long this is going to last, but if there's somebody like that that you would like to hear from and get a little bit of background on them, have a bit more of a, just a, a conversation on a personal level, uh, let me know and I'll see what I can do. Up next, though, a 2020 draft spotlight, one of the top-ranked defensemen in the entire class of 2020. His name is Jake Sanderson of the U.S. National Development Program. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, this is Jack Rosovic from the U18 national team. Clayton Keller. Hey, this is J.C. Comfer. Hey, it's Joel Farabee from Team USA. Hi, I'm Hudson Fashing. Hi, it's Brady Shea. Hey, this is John Gibson from Team USA. This is Jordan Greenway. This is Matias Samuelson. Hey, this is Sonny Milano from the US NTDP. This is Oliver Wallstrom. Hi, this is Alex Tuck. This is Ryan Lindgren. Hi, I'm Steven Santini, and I play for the U18 national team. How's it going? Kate Fitzgerald with the national team. Hey, it's Austin Matthews. Hi, this is Jacob Truba from the USA Under-18 national team development program, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca.